Welcome to the Inspiring Leadership podcast series. This is aimed for you aspiring leaders, whatever level you're at, whether you're beginning out in your careers as managers and leaders, whether you're in middle ranking roles, or whether you're CEOs and chairman of boards, there's always something we can all learn. And it's particularly the skills, stories, tips and techniques that you can pass on to those you lead and your teams. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to this week's podcast. I am really excited about this guest. Something about him that was a great dynamic when we just began chatting. And I just thought, this is a man I want to have on the podcast. And this is an inspiring leader, a a founder of his own business or a co-founder of his own business. And he's got such a buzz about him. And also he's so open to learning and trying out new things almost immediately. Without further ado, I'll let him introduce himself. Oh, Jonathan, thanks for uh, the kind words and the great intro. I am fired up to be here. Uh, My name is Darren Janelle. I'm the founder and CEO of Janelle Group. We're a custom software development shop here in New York, in America, right? We're about two hours north of of New York City, and we develop custom software for businesses. So I'm obsessed with leadership and culture and recruiting and all of that. I'm sure we'll dive into all that, and I'm just fired up to be here. That's great. Well, Darren, thank you for that. And and as what we're talking about leadership, I use this term inspiring leadership from the gosh, I'm 60 now, from the many years of research, uh, both as uh, an army officer through good times and tough times when I was uh, a poor leader at times. And when I learned from great leaders, uh, particularly looking for a father figure um, with uh, sadly my father being killed as a pilot and a, and a leader and an officer in the Navy when I was just two and a half. But I've been looking for these leaders throughout my life. And uh, the psychologists have a field day with me, what drives me and motivates me to try and get high performance. Uh, But I've recently, as I mentioned to you, been on the Hoffman process, which has been life changing. And indeed, I'm starting to be less so intense and having more fun. So having you, Darren, on the series, it's fun with you. And and we do serious work. and We talk about what makes high performance, but we have fun on the way. And you certainly in your business just you're you're almost nutty you have so much fun and i love that and, and we're using this term inspiring leadership from the research we have which covers all these elements that you can see on the website jonathanperks.com about what makes inspiring leaders and high performance but to you darren when you've worked for and with people who you find inspiring leaders what what components make up their inspiring leadership to you yeah well i jonathan i think there's a a couple of different flavors of leader, right? Um, I, I come from a sports background. So in my early days, you know, playing basketball in the 80s and the 90s, we still had some of the old school coaches who were a little bit, they, they were very intense, a little bit, a little bit meaner, maybe, you know, less our buddy and more that kind of drill sergeant, tough-minded coach. And 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 the really good ones that I was lucky enough to have. They really inspired me. That was definitely a different thing in a different era. I am not that type of leader, right? I kind of, one of my flaws, I need everybody to love me or I want everyone to love me, right? And so I definitely come at it maybe with more of a new school uh, mentality and 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 try to connect with people and, and actually build a real true bond and relationship. Um, and so across my career, you know, you ask, well, which leaders do I find inspiring? I feel like there have been so many over the years, and they've all kind of taken on different flavors and, and had different attributes. So I don't think there's like this one clear formula that I can lay out. Um, I always say when we teach leadership and when I'm when I'm working on my own game, there is no formula for this, right? There's there's different styles and you got to figure out what style works for you. And maybe you can pick and choose and steal different things from different leaders. Uh, but it's definitely a, a mixed bag. Mm. Yeah, I think that's so true. And, and there's this very interesting book called The Regrets of the Dying. And the first priority that came up from the research of talking to people who had days to live was they said, I wish I'd lived a life true to myself and not what other people wanted me to do. And, and I think back on my own life so far, and I think at times I I put on a mask of what I thought a leader was like. Partly this hunt for this inspiring leader, father figure, and you can see my wife's very kindly put up some some photos behind us. Which one 
he's on the wing of an American fighter where he was learning to fly in Corpus Christi in Texas and Pensacola as well on the Gulf Coast uh, in America. And, and so being someone who saved the lives of two other people but died in the process, they lived, he died, it's been such a, a high target to go for. So I think I've, I've always looked to try and put people on a plinth, but actually everybody has feet of clay. And, and even those that you think are wonderful, when you start reading about I don't know, Martin Luther King, you then find out about his affairs and the sort of duplicitous life he had. And, and so even, you know, Gandhi, who thought you thought was just just a role model leader, you find he sort of ended up sleeping to test his willpower with young women. He didn't actually have sex with them. He just slept with them. And you go, what? Like, why? Why would the wife let him do that? I mean, so so all of us have our own faults and our flaws. And I. I do think that finding something that's genuine for you, Darren, is right. However, how do you know what's right? And I find that often people have no example of, of what good is. And I was very lucky in the military, my 20 years, to work for some really great inspiring leaders, uh, General, Sir John Sto General John Stokoe, uh, General the Lord Dannett, uh, John Griffin, some special forces people as well, like uh, one of those John was. And I learned so much for, from them that in some ways I cherry picked what I thought worked well. And I looked at the appalling leaders and the bullies and I thought, I'm not going to be like those. So I don't think there's any harm in us looking at what the best is, but there is no one size fits all. It's what really has to be working for you, Darren, don't you think? Yeah, ab absolutely. And I, I also went through that too, right? As a as a young athlete playing for these hard-nosed coaches, you know, I, I said, oh, well, that's going to be my style. And and maybe it was in some of my earlier days. And then over time, I realized the leaders that I connected with the most or the deepest were the ones who kind of made me feel special. And we actually, I felt like they were my friend. And I feel like they actually cared about me. And, and so I guess it took me maybe five, 10 years to realize that, but maybe by my thirties, I started to realize that's what I, that's what I love so much about leadership. When I can make the connection with somebody, when I can invest in them and show them, I care about them and help them grow. That's when I get the most joy out of this. Right. Yeah. And so, so by, by my mid thirties, I had started to really solidify that as my leadership style. My, my leadership style is find great people, invest in them, connect with them and empower them to do great things. Yeah, I think it's a lovely way of describing it. And I think back to when I was an instructor at the Military Academy at Santos, which is one of the top leadership institutions, I think in the world. Um, and I arrived thinking I'd sort of Tom Cruise arriving at Top Gun School. And quickly had a bit of a shock because the other instructors were actually, many of them, much better than me. And I was role modeling from a rather strong-willed, um, hard-assed kind of instructor. I thought I'd try and be like him. And it wasn't really me. Uh, and, and so I got a bit of an average report, which was a shock. I mean, I'd always been outstanding before I got there. Now they're telling me I'm at the best place, but I'm average. Of course you are. You're up against some really good people who went on to become generals, become special forces officers and, and go on to become CEOs of businesses. So it was a great proving ground. But I, I think I made mistakes, but I learned from those mistakes because it was such a shock. That's what made me look to find inspiring leaders and what makes inspiring leaders. So I think we all need a bit of a a bit of a shakeup of, of what works for you and not to be phony you know, putting on a mask and trying to act a certain way because everybody can, you know, they like they can smell bullshit, you know, if you if you try it. Anyway, uh, you've touched on already, Darren, some of your interesting life that you've had. I am fascinated in anybody I meet in any walk of life. I think some of the most powerful, deepest conversations I've had with people is tell me about your life and what shaped you and events that have happened, people who influenced you, particularly during that adolescent stage up to 13, your parents or your primary carers had a huge impact on your behavior today, that past you bring with you in your behaviors today. So share a bit, if you would, about your life story. Absolutely. So I, I am here in a town called Schenectady, New York. We're about two hours north of New York City. 
Um, and my, my grandfather actually came to this town in 1922, so about 100 years ago. And I think most people will be listening to this and not watching the video. But Jonathan, if you look out my window, you can see this building right here. That's where my grandfather got his first job in 1922 at age 13. Came over here from Germany as an immigrant, didn't speak English, didn't go to didn't go to school, just went right to work and started grinding in order to establish the family here. Um, and so, you know, he raised my dad that way and my dad raised my brother and I that way. Um, and so we still got that kind of immigrant chip on our shoulder of like the grind and the grit, even though I'm two generations removed now, I, I just, I identify with that so much, right? We're here in this land of opportunity. Let's work hard. Let's build something. Thing. Let's add value every day, right? And we were brainwashed with that on a daily basis. And I'm now brainwashing my kids with that, uh, Jonathan. And so, yeah, we're, my brother and I are just so lucky to to grow up with two parents who were super hardworking and really instilled that in us. Uh, they were both school teachers, and my brother and I got into sports and we played basketball. And we were we were absolutely obsessed with the game, Jonathan. I mean. You know, people go, oh, yeah, I played basketball, too. I love the game. It's like, you know, I'm not trying to be disrespectful, but we were on a whole nother level. And I'm not saying like talent wise. I'm just saying commitment level wise. Um, we we were obsessed with the game. We would work out like world class athletes, you know, um, and, and we were able to play at a relatively high level in college. You know, we didn't realize our dreams of playing professionally and we, that just wasn't in the cards. But that, that was a, a lot of what shaped us as young folks is our basketball um, upbringing and, and going so, so intense in that. Yeah, I, I think it's absolutely fascinating. And, and I've, um, I was mentioning to you just been on the Hoffman process, which has probably been one of the most profound seven days uh, of my life as far as the learning process goes. 24 of us from around the world, from America, from Germany, uh, your old grandfather's uh, stomping ground uh, from UAE, various places around the world. And we were all in a room with three psychotherapists having what was, I think, a condensed version of five week years of weekly therapy in just seven days. Looking back at our upbringing from, in your case, your two German uh, parents and, and they're coming over as immigrants and how it's passed down through the generations from their parents to them and from, from them to you and from you to your children. And we've got to be, uh, the thing I've learned is we've got to be very aware of the intergenerational gift we pass on to the next generation. Are we screwing them up as much as we were screwed up with an obsession about doing this or the grit and the grind and the graft? Um, and, and is it still relevant? You know, is, is there a, a, a way of looking at this again and breaking the patterns so that we can achieve things without being so intense that we work all hours, never have any holidays, never have any time off and don't really have relaxing times for fun and for, for knowing our, our partners, our wives, our husbands and our children? What do you think? You know, you and I talked before this podcast, right? And kind of uh, you challenged me with some things of like, like you know, why do you think that? Why do you behave in that way? Why does this, you know, I, I say, well, work ethic is one of my core values. It's kind of like everything that I stand on, you know? And, I, you know, I, even though you might not have a problem with that, but you also challenged me on like, well, why does it have to be that way every day, everything I do, right? And uh, you really left me thinking on that. And and it, it is such an interesting thing when you really start to break down, why do you have certain beliefs, right? And mm. yeah, it's my upbringing and maybe some of it's genetic and some of it's my experiences. Um, but after our coaching session, uh, I don't know, it was about a month ago, I've really spent some time in thought and prayer of of trying to examine some of these things, right? Some of them are like great things that I don't ever want to change about myself. And some of them are like, well, maybe I should, I should relook at this uh, particular aspect, right? And so, so yeah, you definitely got me going down that road, Jonathan, and, and really examining where that stuff comes from. I'm really pleased about that because I think the unexamined life is a, not a life worth living, I think is a famous quote. I can't remember who said that. But the, the point is you need to keep looking at your life and at unexamined assumptions that you've made, it's just like this is the way the world is. This is the way you treat people. Um, success is this. Happiness is that. I mean, I've particularly found lately 
that the thing that came to me from from examining my own life and the intensity and the high performance I was always going for was that I was so damn serious and and not much time for joy and for relaxation and fun because everything was continually personal improvement and better and being world class, which is all well and good. But but how about, you know, when you come to the end of your life and you're in your coffin and everybody's around there, if you could almost replay what it was like before you die, what would they say about you? You know, great guy, but so damn intense and never had time for his family because he was always working. Because, of course, one of the problems we have is we become workaholics. We, 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 we know alcoholics. We know drug addicts. Uh, we know sex addicts. But we don't really challenge the workaholic oh he works so hard yeah yeah okay so you have a finite resource which is time but are you giving it in the right place because the course the, the process for me really made me value family so for example my wife lee and i um have got our grandchildren and our son and his wife living with us now for about six months while they move home and actually having a one-year-old and a two-year-old back again in your life, having had four kids already, really wakes you up. Firstly, it wakes you up at 3.30 in the morning, five in the morning, whatever it might be. Adding a puppy does too. But it makes you realize how important family is. And often people can think family a bit of an irritant to get in the way of them getting on with the job. But that's someone who's a workaholic. And, and I know I've been a workaholic. And I wondered if you recognize whether you might possibly have been a workaholic at any stage. Yeah, I, I definitely have had seasons of that in my life. Um, I will say, despite my intensity, right, uh, I, I am I am someone who's always laughing and joking and having a good time. I, I really also, my wife and I also have four kids, um, and I feel like I have... I've done a good job there, spending time and connecting deeply with my my wife. We we're in the midst of a torrid love affair, I will say, Jonathan, and also being there for my kids, right? But there are times, maybe, right, where I compromise on on some of those things, and and you know, some of those may be things that I might need to reexamine. You know, if I could, if I could just reference back to what I was talking about with our coaching session, I made a statement of. And this is a basketball reference. I run after every loose ball, right? Mm. A loose ball is when like the ball is like no one necessarily has it and people hustle after it, right? And some players go after every single one and some don't, right? And I've always prided myself on running and diving after every single loose ball. And I said that to you. And if you remember, I, I was sharing some like maybe guilt about, well, recently at work, I don't feel like I've been running down every loose ball. And you challenged me and you're like, well, why are you feeling guilt over that? Like, you know, you've been working like a crazy man for all of these years. Like, isn't it okay if you don't run down these, you know, a few of these loose balls? And uh, that was how that conversation started, right? And and so I think balancing, you know, that the seasons in my life where I was a workaholic versus really there and, and, and spending my time across all of my other interests. Um, it's been a constant ebb and flow. And I think I've done a good job of it for the majority of my life, but there have definitely been seasons where I just wasn't there, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And, and me too. And the thing is, can we catch ourselves, you know, you're, you're 45, I'm 60. Can you catch yourself early enough in your life that firstly you live your life to the full It's a life well lived. And, uh, secondly, that, that you don't have the regrets of the dying where you go, I wish I'd done this. I wish I hadn't done that. I mean, a lot of them say, I wish I hadn't spent so much time at work. I wish I'd spent more time on my relationships. And it's at the end of the day, it's all about relationships. If you want to live a long and happy life, I've been listening to a lot of research, particularly from Dr. Mark Hyman, who's doing his latest books coming out in February about longevity and things like that. I've studied it, the whole topic with a number of different people. But relationships is what help you live a long and happy life. Good relationships, wide number of relationships. If you were if you were ill and you needed to call someone in the middle of the night, how many people can you call? I, I think, Darren, you can call a lot of people. But people listening, how many people could you call who really would come to you, what, drop whatever they're doing and come and be with you? That's a good measure of success. Because, of course, people go, success is getting what you want. But happiness is wanting what you already have. Now, I consider myself very lucky. I have all that I need at the moment. I just want to make 
the most of what I already have and live each day. But the other thing is to make sure that your lifespan matches your health span. Because too many people, their health span ends about 15 years before their lifespan ends. And they spend their last 15 years really ill with a variety of terminal illnesses which make life for everybody else very difficult because they haven't looked after their health and well-being. So I don't know what that uh, whether that resonates for you at all. Yeah, I mean, thinking about my my later years, right? And and as you get older, age is relative, right? I mean, to to you, I'm young, right? To to me and my company, I got all these young folks running around. I'm old, right? And to my dad, we're both ridiculously young, right? So age is all relative, but um, I I think prioritizing your health and making sure that you're eating right and working out and taking care of your body. I mean, that's such a key piece of my philosophy, right? That gives me the energy in order to do what I can do. And also, you know, I, I want to be fit until I, I, my heart stops ticking. You know what I mean? Um, one of my one of the guys I work out with, he goes, if you want to squat tomorrow, you've got to squat today, right? So just this morning, I was down in my my basement gym, Jonathan. This thing is nasty, my gym. We call it the Russian prison down there, and I'm doing squats, right? I don't want to squat at, at 6, 7 in the morning, but I want to squat tomorrow. I want to squat when I'm 80, so I'm squatting now, right? And so I, I definitely prioritize that. And, and uh, you know, the times in my life where I have taken that off of my priority list, I almost always suffer mentally and just the way I feel. So uh, that's something that that I'm always putting near the top of my list. Yeah, I think it's so important. I, I get a lovely couple of walks with my two dogs, Archie and Willow, who are energetic Cocker Spaniels. They, they need a good walk, you know, 30, 40 minutes each, uh, twice a day. Uh, and then it, it, when I'm in the right space, I, I, I like, like you, hit training or rowing on the indoor rower or a bit of yoga. Um, I'm finding now balancing, looking after small people first thing in the morning. I've lost some of that time, um, but they're with us for a few months. So it's it's quite special time. Um, let's think back to um, there you are with your your children. You've got uh, four kids. Uh, tell us tell us about what's special about your kids and what ages they are. Yeah, I've got a really uh, unique family. Uh, Jonathan, we have we have four children. Uh, the two in the middle are 16 and 18 year old boys and their birth sons. Uh, the two on the outside are adopted. Uh, I got an adopted daughter uh, who's 12 years old. And then my my oldest is 22 years old. We call him our son, but he's not actually officially our son. Um, he came over here from Nigeria and he actually showed up on his 16th birthday. We picked him up from uh from the airport and uh you know he's been part of our family since we call him our son uh but he uh he has his parents and five siblings over in Nigeria and this kid this kid's unbelievable Jonathan um I don't know if I told you about uh what he did for his family did I tell you that story this is this is fantastic so so my my oldest he's 22 he's from Nigeria and his name is Gideon we call him G and he works at Jersey Mike's, right? And so he, he's he got a strong work ethic. He fits right into our family, right? All the, the brainwashing about work ethic, he, he fits right in there. And so a couple summers ago, he just worked his tail off working 60, 70 hours a week and saved up a bunch of money. And we're kind of breaking his stones a bit going, gee, what are you going to do with all your money, man? You're like the richest kid in, uh, you know, richest kid around. You going to buy a car or something? And he, you know what he said to me, Jonathan? He says, dad, I just bought my parents a house. Wow. He saved up his money from working at Jersey Mike's. Oh, you might not even know what Jersey Mike's is. It's a sandwich shop, like a, like a kind of like fast food style place, right? Not a glamorous job. This guy saved up his money and sent, I think it was about $9,000 over to Nigeria and bought his family a house. And I think it's the first house they've ever owned in their family's history, right? And, uh, you know, so this guy's just an amazing dude. Last summer, we're kind of picking on him again. We're like, yo, how are you going to top the house? You know? And he goes, actually, I just bought him 250 chickens. And uh, and I'm sending my two brothers to college. This guy's working his tail off, sending his money back home. And, you know, we're just so proud of him. I love telling that story. I'll crowbar that story in on anything, right? No matter what anyone says, I'll be like, did I tell you about my son? <laughs> and so, yeah, he's just an inspiring guy. So that's a little bit about my kids. That is really inspiring. And uh, who knows, maybe he should come on the podcast in the future. Yeah. Yes, he is. And he's got fantastic stories. He'll tell you stories that'll, 
<laughs> it'll blow your hair back, man. You'll be yeah, like, yeah, well, look, you know? in a year's time, let's have your son, let's have your son, Gideon, on the show. I'd love to hear his story. Yes, well, sir. Look, and that's really quite relevant because my next question is really, if you could take yourself back to when you were younger, even younger than Gideon, when you were about 16 or 18, like your your two sons, your two birth sons, what bit of advice would you give your young Darren Janelle advice? What would yeah, you say? Yeah, this is this is an interesting question, and uh, you know, I'm going through it while as I with my two sons, right? And and so my 16 year old actually just started his first business, right? Wow. And he's trying to buy and sell sneakers, and you know, do some arbitration and flip them, and um, I think that would be the the number one piece of advice I'd give myself. If you feel that you're an entrepreneur, if you've got that in you, start businesses as soon as you can. Just start them. You're going to suck. You're going to be awful in the beginning, right? You're not, I can't, I've never heard of anyone starting their first business and actually it working out really well, right? But you got to start multiple businesses before you're going to find success, right? And so start sooner rather than later. And I, you know, we didn't get going until we were maybe... I don't know, 23, 24, when we started our first businesses. But by the time my son, who's 16 and already started a business, by the time he's 23, 24, he might have three, four, five different ventures under his belt and be starting from the 50-yard line as opposed to you know ha having the whole way to go. So I, I think that's probably the biggest piece of advice I'd give myself is, is, is start sooner. Yeah, great bit of advice. And if you were to give yourself a bit of advice about don't do this, you know, because you and I were talking about this in the book Essentialism, about you've got to be clear what you're not going to do. Stop doing that. Say no to this. What would you say no to? What would you just not worry about? Because it was not as important as you made it out to be. Well, you know, we, as I said, we, my brother and I grew up in the, that sports culture, that super intense sports culture. So guys like Larry Bird and Michael Jordan, right? They, we were brainwashed with this never quit, never give up attitude, right? And so... In 2005, my brother and I started this educational software business, and we just could never get over the hump. We had some mild success, and but we could never get over the hump, and we should have pivoted to a different business model, And but we had all of that stuff in our head. Never quit. Never give up. I could see Michael Jordan sitting on my shoulder saying, don't give up. Don't be a wimp, you know, and, and really, I shouldn't have looked at pivoting as quitting. That's not quitting. It's just we're being smart and we're switching our model, right? And so we definitely hung on to that too long because we were so afraid of giving up or quitting or the perception of that. Um, yeah. And I can even see that a little bit with my son, right? He's starting the sneaker business. He's done like five transactions so far, six, and, and he's lost money on every one of them. Yeah. And he, like, I think he's already seeing, like, maybe he missed the boat on this sneaker arbitrage window and maybe he should go to Amazon or do something else. And he's like, well, I don't want to give up on this. And I, oh, I could just hear myself. And uh, I'm not sure exactly what advice to give him. Should I say don't give up? Or does he need to stay in the fire and feel the pain longer? Um, you know, I'd be curious of your opinion on that, Jonathan. You'll work it out. I'll let you work that one out. I won't, uh, okay. I won't give you advice on that one with your own son. And in fact, that's often one of the things uh, for our children is to let them see our example uh, rather than giving them great advice. I've got um, uh, two stepkids who are amazing and two of my own children. And you wait for them to ask your advice rather than constantly be giving advice. Um, because there is this thing about agency, letting them have their ability to make their own decisions on their own lives and live with the consequences and the cost of it. Uh, but always to say, okay, what have you learned? What are you going to do differently? Learning and action. Call it a teachable moment. Maybe that's that's what your son's got. He's got a teachable moment. Okay, son, let's have a review. What have you learned? What are you going to do differently? Because I think that the, there's the whole aspect that we're taught later about resilience. And, and it's, it's lionized, this resilience. Of course, I did airborne trading. I did mountain marathons. So resilience, just keep them going. But it's old Groucho Marx who said, if at first you don't succeed, give up. Don't be a bloody fool. And... Uh, <laughs> Uh, but that's the sort of the other extreme. But I think there, there's something about learning and reviewing and having review points when you check in. And there's the book um, by David Marquet, which is a really good one, Leadership as Language, in which he talks about this huge oil tanker going down the east coast of America and then through some of the islands uh, in the Caribbean. 
and how it had two review points where it, they could have switched to go to the western side of these islands, this chain of islands, but they stayed on the eastern side and they drove straight into a hurricane and everybody on board the ship died because they were just carrying on doing it without reviewing had the situation changed. And the situation had changed. They were going to the eye of the storm. They knew they were, but they sort of put off the decision and just yeah. sailed straight into it and everybody died. And 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 they had a record of it, whole thing. And um, so I just think we need to watch that one. Um, that sort of touches on one thing, sort of dark moments in life, but also happy moments in life. If you were to pick the darkest moment personally or work-wise in your life and a happiest, most joyous moment, what which would you choose for those? Sure, sure. If we're, if we're talking darkest moment professionally, I think that's an easy one. Uh, back in 05, when we started the educational software business, uh, my wife and I were living in New York City and we she got pregnant with our first child. So we moved back upstate to the suburbs, bought a house. She quit her job to raise the kid. And that's right when I... Um, we started the educational software business. And so I, I took a, I had a good job in New York city and I took a week of vacation, pitched uh, 12 schools and uh, 11 out of 12 said they were going to buy it. So I like, Oh, this is great. We're going to be rich. And so I quit my job at that point, Jonathan. And uh, then I learned a hard lesson of just because someone says they're going to buy it does not mean you are going to close the deal. And we just couldn't close the deal. Um, all 11 of those, 11 out of 12 of those verbal commitments, we didn't close a single one of them, right? And we went almost a year without making any money. We ate through all of our savings and we went $70,000 in credit card debt. And uh, that was a brutal, brutal period. I'm like, I can't believe it. We we screwed everything up. You know, and my wife and I were working hard. We were saving money. We had built up, you know, a nice little nest egg and it was all gone and, and we're in debt. Um, so that definitely was the lowest, right? I was uh, unemployed. My wife was unemployed. We had a kid. We had a house we couldn't afford and a mountain of debt. Um, you know, no question that was the low. I was really questioning myself. And my dad's like, what are you doing, man? <laughs> you had a you had a great thing going. And uh, uh, yeah, so that, that's definitely the low. How, how did you just stay with it? How did you get through that? How did you uh, resolve it in the end? Sure. So, so I was a pretty good software engineer, right? So I was a, a developer that people would pay to do stuff. And so I took actually two full-time programming contracts. I did two 40 hour a week gigs. So 80 hours a week. And I did that for 11 months and it was brutal, man. I, I seven days a week, I did not leave the house. I would get up, you know, 9am and work till midnight or 2am and just repeat day after day after day. And I paid the debt off in 11 months. And so actually, you know, when you want to talk about like, like high moments, that might have been like one of the best moments is when we, um, you know, when we paid off that debt and we're like, wow, we climbed out of this. And this goes back to reinforcing all that, like that work ethic, that drive at the end of the day. If you live in the United States of America and you are smart and you are ready to hustle, you're going to be okay. Just grind and just keep pushing and, and you'll get out of it, right? And so, you know, maybe that that uh, solidified maybe some 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 things maybe too much, but uh, I definitely learned that lesson and I'll pick that as my high moment. Yeah, and that was definitely workaholism, man. That, oh, that, no question. But that, but that one was maybe workaholism by like, I had no choice. I had to dig us out, you know? We, we always have choice. We always have choice. Good point. Um, and, and how quickly you did it and all that kind of stuff. It's your choice. Um, but of course, as you say, this is where the resilience uh, of, yeah, this is going to work. This is the, the the aspirations and the hopes we have. Things don't work out. You know, life is not fair. If you accept that quite early on, it's a lot easier. Uh, you know, Scott Peck, M. Scott Peck, wrote his book, The Road Less Traveled. And it begins with the line, life, life is not fair. And once you accept it, get over it. It's much easier. And um, so if you could uh, think about a, a moment in your life, a crucible moment, that sounds like that was a pretty big one. But another crucible moment that that really shaped you as the leader you are today, what what moment would you describe? Yeah, I, I think um, so. I joined this or, this group called EO, Entrepreneurs Organization. Have you heard of that, Jonathan? No, I haven't yet. Yeah. So EO is. As a worldwide organization, it's it's uh, for business owners, right? So there's about 15,000 members, and then you have local chapters and forums. And I guess maybe five years ago now, I joined EO. And at that time, uh, we had maybe 30 people on the team. Um, and we were getting to the point where 
it was time for us to evolve as an organization. We were, we were at the size now where we, I had to maybe stop working on every single project and same with my brother. And we had to start working a little bit more on the business and less in the business. And I joined this EO uh, group and I got in my forum and I had some really amazing people in my forum. And, and one guy in particular, this guy, Tim McCann, he really showed me the light on, you got to allow your people to do some things for themselves, right? And and forgive me if this is too long-winded, but he was on the phone with somebody from his, his, his business and he was trying to talk them through it. And he gets off the call and he goes, you know what, I could get in there and fix that, but I'm just not gonna do that. They have to fix it. And I, as someone who prides himself as sleeping in the trenches and being with the troops, it turned me off, Jonathan. I'm like, oh, this guy, rich businessman, he's not going to get his hands dirty. He's going to allow his team to suffer because he doesn't want to get in there with grit, right? And it, and it really didn't sit well with me. But over time, as I got to learn more about Tim and his organization, and I saw how that situation ended up playing out, that person did eventually get it. He coached them through it. And I said, oh, Wow. He, that was actually harder than getting in and doing it himself. He allowed that person and helped that person grow to a whole nother level. It was like the light bulb went off for me and it was blinking and it was like a siren going off. And I did a complete 180 on the issue. And I went from saying, oh, you know, he, this guy's not willing to get his hands dirty to, oh, this is what I need to start doing myself. It was unbelievable, Jonathan. And I, I was just... Uh, it was just a, a pivotal moment, and and that's been allow, allowed us to 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 really scale. And right, we had thirty people back then. We're at one hundred and forty now, and I think those lessons really played a major part. Yeah, I, and I'm so pleased that you did that. And this is what I call the coach approach to leadership. It's not my term; it's a general term. Or leaders growing leaders. That um, of course you can do it yourself, and particularly when it's complex software, you could do it yourself. But you're constrained by by your 24 hours, which in some cases you seem to work all of them and never slept. But the, the more you work crazy hours, the more tired you get, and then you make errors. So you then have to rectify the errors or it takes so much longer. I find I have a power nap around about one o'clock each day. Um, and, and I get a, like a second day because I've got the first day, I have the power nap for 30 minutes. I am back at it and I'm just buzzing. Uh, and particularly if you're having small children, as many listening will do, who wake you up in the middle of the night or you get into my age when you have to get up two or three times for a pee. Um, it, it isn't mean it destroys you for the next day because you've got this recharge. And, and I think um, with the CEOs that I've coached, some of their biggest breakthroughs is when they stop being on the dance floor and they got up the stairs onto the balcony and they look down and they saw the few patterns and they realized they were paid to make three decisions a year, a year. And those things have stayed with them and have transformed the way they operate, that they operate at a strategic level rather than infantilizing the people who work for them. Because what happens is, and I was the same person as you, I, I broke all of the barriers down. I tried to be their friend and get in there and do it all with them. And then when it comes to firing them, it's very hard to fire them because you're mates and you're friends and there's no there's no respect. You're going for popularity rather than respect. Respect is where you hold them accountable and responsible and you empower them and you, you lionize them when they achieve success. And if it doesn't work, then you ask them a teachable moment. What have you learned? What are you going to do differently? Learning and action, learning and action. I believe, expectations, I believe you can do this. It might take you a couple of days, but I believe you can do this. So this is the outcome I want. How are you going to go and do it? Go and think about it and come and brief me tomorrow. And that's what really turns things around. And because the 135, 145 you have working for you is very similar to the number of sailors on a nuclear submarine, the Santa Fe, you would enjoy listening to Turn the Ship Around by David Marquet, where he said, I went from being the one where I was the answer man. I am Russell Crowe, down four leagues, fire missiles one and two, you know, at the turn 90 starboard, four, 40 degrees. And, and he said, I was thinking for them. But now 
He said, they said, shut up, Captain. They almost looked masking tape on his mouth. Don't make any decisions again. Just tell us your intent and we'll give you our intent to achieve your intent. And that's called the ladder of leadership, which he linked with Covey. And if you Google ladder of leadership, you'll see about intent. This is what I intend to do. What do you intend to do? This is what I intend to do. Anything resonate for you, Darren? Well, yeah, I, I am familiar with Turn the Ship Around. Uh, I do love that book. And I could resonate with all of those examples. And I'm like, yes, this was me. And well, clearly I'm not, I'm not done as a leader, right? I got to continue to evolve and learn and, and, and grow. But um, yeah, that, that, that resonated a ton. And that was, I think the key to unlocking our ability to scale past that. I actually feel like we're at another kind of like um, breaking point or scaling point, right? Around 150 people is if you're going to break through that, I think that the organization and the leadership team and me as a CEO, I have to evolve again, right? And yeah. I'm, I'm going through that process right now. And it's, um, you know, it's, I feel like I'm learning all over again. And, yeah. and so, yeah, so definitely continuing to try to challenge myself. And when I hear things like, you're paid to make three decisions a year as, as the workaholic, as the guy who's in the trenches. Like that sounds so crazy to me. I should be making 300 decisions a day, not three a year. Right. Um, but, but intellectually, when I hear three a year, I know what you're talking about. I agree with it in theory, easier to like think about it than to actually put it in the practice. Yeah. And, and it is interesting. You mentioned this, this um, it's a, it's a turning point at 150 people. So when I was a company commander uh, of a warrior, so they're the armored fighting vehicles, the Bradleys are the same, of a warrior company based in Germany, and we deployed to Bosnia just after the war to keep the peace, um, I had 150 people working for me. And that's a, a unit scale that I knew everybody's name. Um, if I was particularly good, I'd know a bit about most of their lives and their football teams and that kind of stuff. You can put your arms around 150 but when it gets to 250, you've got to start another company, literally another military company. And this is where the anthropologists look at communities in nature uh, and uh, in different countries. And, and villages tended to be around about 150. And when they grew any bigger than that, they almost like started another group, another community with another leader. Because you, you can't really... You know, you can't really manage more than that. And this is why we have, you know, battalion is, I don't know, 650 made up of three or four companies, each of 150. So what Gore-Tex do is they start a second business and they grow it from that one's 150 and they grow the new one. So it's just interesting you thinking, I don't know whether it's relevant at all, but how can you spawn off another leader to run part of the business so that grows and they can put their arms around it and know them. I don't know what, what comes up for you. Well, yeah, that, that's something that we're struggling with right now as we try to figure out how do we do this, right? We could just kind of keep doing what we're doing and hire and grow until we have a problem, but that's not right. That's not good leadership. Um, we've talked about the idea or the concept of starting another office, right? Um, have a uh, Miami, Florida office, right? And start a new you know, kind of a whole new thing. It, yeah, it'll still be under the Janelle Group umbrella, but maybe a new team and a new culture and a new leader and someone to drive that business and hold them accountable. Um, but as we get a little bit more remote, then we think, well, does it make sense to do this kind of like geographically? Maybe it doesn't. And so we're we're definitely wrestling with this, Jonathan, and I don't have uh, some great slam dunk answers for you. Um, we have seen our culture start to form organically um, different components, right? We've got our guys who are in into chess. We got the sports guys playing fantasy football and going to games. We got the guys who love drinking beers on Friday night. We've got uh, different groups that kind of just organically popped up. There are things going on around here that I don't even know about. And they're like, oh, yeah, we meet every Thursday night and play video games or something like that. Um, so that's happening, which is kind of cool to see. But in terms of structurally as a company, uh, we have not solved that yet. And I'm, and I'm definitely looking for answers. Yeah, well, I think you'll continue to mull that one over. There's many different ways you could approach it. Um, and I'd be interested, we can continue as we have our chats in the future. Let's think about going around the Inspiring Leadership Compass, uh, which you can see on my website, jonathanperks.com, about beginning with the moral component. So your integrity, your values, your beliefs. You had a strong set of values and principles that you were brought up with 
which I think you've adopted, you've been passing on to your four children. What would you say is is your most important value? And what do you do when it slips and you have to get it back on onto true north? What's what's your most sure, important sure. value? Um, you know, I, I would say it's it's serve, right? Serving people, servant leadership, just coming to through every single interaction of my life, literally every single interaction, and trying to add value, add something, right? Literally even going to the store and t- grabbing a, buying a soda and checking out. Can I smile? Can I say hello to that person? Can I make them feel a little bit better? Can every single room I walk into, I want to bring positive energy. Um, every single relationship, I want to be laughing. I want to be around happy people. And I want to try to, you know, when Darren is here, hopefully people feel he brings that, right? And obviously you can't do that 100% of the time. Um, but but that's what I'm trying to do is, right? Bring that positive attitude and then serving and actually, you know, adding value in every single interaction. And then as an organization, can we do that, right? Because if we can do that for our clients and every single time they interact with us, they are liking that, feeling the positivity and feeling like they are being served you know, that's only going to continue to snowball. So definitely service would be my number one core value. And, and I love that. And, and what do you, particularly servant leadership at Santos as an instructor, our motto was serve to lead. Uh, and that was what, you know, officers eat last, serve to lead, make sure you look after your men first. And when you let that servant leadership slip, what have you done to bring it back on track? Yeah, well, I, I think human nature is, you know, to think about yourself, right? And and so um, definitely when we're making big decisions, we're trying to run it through that lens. Because sometimes, you know, you maybe you forget about that and you're in the executive boardroom and you're making decisions and discussing things. It's easy to start thinking about, well, actually, that would be pretty good for me, right? Or Or, or, or something like that. And so I think it's, the leadership team all holding ourselves accountable to that and continuing to remind each other. And you can't be, you can't be hurt when people bring something up, right? People who are, are, are used to uh, team environments, maybe sports guys or military guys, you know, I want to be held accountable. And sometimes it's uncomfortable if somebody calls me out on my BS. Right. But uh, I I think that's the way we try to try to do it is is keeping each other accountable. I I love that. I love that. And that takes us on to the next component, purpose, PQ, meaning and purpose, vocation, calling, dharma. Um, why do you do what you do, Darren? Yeah, that, that's a that's a great question. One I've spent a lot of time on, and I actually believe I have the answer, right? I mean, I think this is something everybody searches for and maybe struggles with. I believe I know why God put me on this planet. Uh, now I may die and get up there and God might be like, dude, you missed it. I, you were completely off on what I wanted to do, but this is what I believe. God put me on planet earth to help young people level up, right? If I can, if I can come in and add value or Janelle group can provide an opportunity or through, through whatever means possible, if I can take a young person and have them go from A to B, B to C, C to D, and help them level up, whether it's through providing opportunities, through training, through mentorship, through just encouraging and, and believing in them, through its coach, coaching in sports, through adopting kids, whatever it is. If I can help young people level up, I get home at the end of the day, I look up at the big man and say, God, I'm trying. I'm over here trying. Now, I, I want to help everybody. I want to help, you know, older people, people my own age. But but specifically, I have a passion for helping young folks, right? Kids in their teens, in their 20s, helping them establish and, and, and build a life of their dreams. That's why God put me on this planet, Jonathan. And this is why we're talking, because my wife set up a charity. She's the, in her spare time, which is not much. Um, as the CEO of a charity for vulnerable girls, young girls going through abuse, slavery, modern day trafficking, mental health issues. And uh, I need you and the guys to you know, get stuck in, help us, because we could do with um, some help with this, because there's such a need out there. Uh, both like you in Africa, we've helped people in the slums of Kenya and Nairobi, uh, and also in South Africa, in KwaZulu-Natal, uh, where they, you know, 80% unemployment. And we've actually provided them with uh, little laptops in a little container, shipping container with a library as well. And they're all in the learning of it of just basic computing. Uh, But to help them get down to Durban, where they might get some jobs or they could work on on the world. And also throughout the UK, where there's 
drugs problems and what we call county lines where they're they're being used as drug mules and things like this it's helping those young girls so we'll, we'll have a separate chat on that but but yeah, that, that, that's that, that purpose sorry jonathan that's that's fantastic you mentioned kenya my two my two sons the 16 and 18 year old they just got back from kenya so well not just but this summer they they did a three-week trip there and all, all of those causes are near and dear to my heart so uh that sounds that sounds great well look we can uh, we can connect with the, the work we're doing on that health question we've talked a lot about health it's a big part of what you and I both believe in, this brain health and physical health. Um, clearly, it's been you know from from your days of being a, an aficionado of basketball and Mark, Michael Jordan with his his arms out holding the basketball in one hand. A friend of mine has that on his wall. Um, he's a, a sports fanatic in uh, in Israel, and uh, we're going to Israel on Saturday, uh, Sunday to uh, work with a fintech uh, company that's just uh, been bought by another fintech company we work with. And uh, we're really looking forward to um, going out there. He's taken me to Jerusalem. Uh, I've never been. And of course, that's going to be very religious and very special to me uh, to be taken there with Lee to go and visit that. But uh, but I think about all that you've thrown yourself into sports and health and well-being. If you were to give a tip on brain health, brain or mental health, and a tip on physical health that's worked for you that you think may help others. What would your tips be? Sure, sure. I got I got a couple of good ones. I think so. Every day, as soon as I wake up, this is this is a, something that works for me. I control what I consume and put into my brain. Right. So I start right off, and I put YouTube on, and I start with the motivational speeches, whether it's you know Eric Thomas or Tony Robbins or Jim Rohn. I love those types of things. Sometimes it's learning, right? I'm listening to a podcast as I'm, you know, in the shower, brushing my teeth, doing my morning routine. So every day I'm starting my day off and I'm controlling to start with positive messaging, positive thoughts, and actually brainwashing myself, Jonathan. You know, my poor wife, you know, she's got to, she's got to wake up and hear me over there listening to like Rocky Balboa or something like that. Uh, but, you know, controlling the inner conversation in your head, right? So that that's it from a mental perspective. And then in terms of physical interaction, I want to surround myself with other active fit people, right? We've got that culture here at Janelle Group. I've got people that are training for a marathon. We're we're doing this 10 million stairs challenge in the office where people walk up the stairs. We're trying to do 10 million as a team. We've already done 3.5 million. We Before that, we did a million push-up challenge in the office, right? And we actually completed a million push-ups over seven years. Uh, so I want to surround my people with, or surround myself with other people that are hustling and getting after it. If I see my buddy walking stairs, I'm going to walk stairs and it kind of snowballs just like being a part of a team or a military unit. You're going to, you're, you know, that stuff is going to rub off. So surround yourself with other fit and active people. If you want to be fit and active. Yeah, it's a lovely one. And, and there is that, that saying, you know, well, because like me, you probably swallow the contents of so many audiobooks, YouTube videos, books on motivational that you are the sum of the five people you spend your most time with. So choose carefully who you spend time with. And I, when I look back over time, I, I think in the early days, I didn't spend the right amount of time with the right kind of people who would um, be role models to me. But then after that, I did. I, I spent some amazing time with some people who have left a lasting positive impact on me and a motivation to me. Moving on now to um, not hard technical skills, but people skills, which some people wrongly called soft skills. I call them human skills of emotional and social intelligence, that ability to use your emotions intelligently rather than unintelligently and read yourself and manage yourself, read others and manage their emotions and read the environment of the workplace you're in or the home you're in. What would be your top tip? on building good emotional and social intelligence? Sure, so I, I think it comes down to self-awareness, right? Analyzing every interaction. How did I do at dinner with my family? How did I do in that business meeting? How did I, how did I perform on this Zoom call, right? Um, and, and really taking the time to, to look at that and examine that. And if you're leading others, right, is, is maybe trying to encourage them to start to look in the mirror at the, themselves and analyzing all of these things. A really great course, Jonathan, that, that we use here, I have no affiliation with this, I'm not getting paid for this, the guy doesn't know me, um, is Charisma on Command. 
The guy's got a YouTube channel. His name's Charlie. Actually, he has a paid course called uh, Charisma University. And it's like 30 days of lessons. And I've, I've put my children through it. We put our people through it here. I've gone through it. It's really awesome. It breaks down in 30 days, um, little tips, right? Um, day one is if somebody says, how you doing? Don't just say good. Give them more than good. And he breaks down different examples. And I've seen my kids transform their personality, their ability to connect and interact with other folks. I've seen it with some of our introverted engineers who maybe that doesn't come naturally to them. They go through that course and you can see specific changes. So Charisma University, the guy's name is Charlie. It's fantastic. Thank you. That's great. Great tip. CQ, Collaborative, Cognitive and Cultural Intelligence. Um, you know, you've role modeled this by adopting a son from Nigeria, adopting a daughter. Um, but how do you develop your cultural intelligence, your understanding of people who are different from you? And uh, what would be your top tip? Yeah, I, I think it's exposure to different groups, different people, right? Uh, it's getting on the plane and going to Africa. It's going to Europe. It's And not everybody can travel like that, right? Maybe it's, you know, hanging out with someone that has different demographics than you. If you're young, hang out with older people. If you're rich or wealthy, hang out with people who don't have as much. It's getting exposure to them and spending time and working with them uh, looking for those opportunities, right? Where you, now you may spend time and say, "Well, I actually don't agree with them," right? Um, you, you know, if you think of maybe your political views or, or or things like that. Well, at least I need to spend time and and hear what the other side has to say before I form my opinions, right? I can't just watch TV and go, "Ah, they don't. They all don't know what they're talking about," right? So I think it's exposure to different people, different folks, and and people that aren't like yourself. I, I really love that one, and. I think the there's a, a book well worth listening to, uh, Revenge of Power by Moises Nayam. And he talks about the three P leaders that we've got in many places. We had it in Donald Trump. We had it in Boris Johnson. We've got it in uh, Orban in Hungary and so goes on. Um, and Xi Jinping in China. The first P is polarization, that they polarize the community. You know, Democrats, Republicans, conservatives, Labour, whatever it might be. But they they make the other side the bad people and they just don't want anything to do with them. Populism and where, you know, they, they do things that are, are popular, but they're actually like, you know, build a wall, whatever it might be, you know, keep out the immigrants and, and, and do things that really um, polarise society. And then post-truth, that they, they deliberately tell and write Twitters that are complete lies, but they... Everybody begins to believe it. And then they begin to question the media and things like that. So I think there's uh, what you're doing is very important and quite rare to try and see the other person's point of view and spend your time uh, involved with different groups and people. Because, you know, uh, uh, there's a surprisingly low number of people who have a have a passport in America and travel outside America. I don't know what the statistics are. I think it's only like, you know, 30 percent do. Uh, okay, it's a big country. Uh, and the same in the UK and other countries that are listening. There's 120 countries around the world listening to this. You know, Do you understand people are different from you? What is your view on people with different sexual orientation to you and from different countries and different color of skin and, and so on? And, and I think we're getting more uh, judgment being put on people. And, and there's this thing psychologically they talk about where you really want to be adult to adult, see others on a level with you. The problem is we tend to get grandiosity where you see yourself one up on somebody else or you see yourself one down on someone else where you're shamed and, and, and you put them above you or you feel put down. And we don't want that. We, we need this kind of leveling out. So great points you make. Resilience. RQ. Um, we've got a, a few minutes left now. Let's just cover resilience, brand and legacy. What would be your top tip on resilience? You're clearly a hugely resilient guy. If there's one tip about healthy resilience, not toxic resilience, but healthy resilience. Yeah, I think, you know, as I shared earlier in the uh, in the podcast, we were trying to be too resilient by not being, uh, by being too rigid and not being flexible. When it was time to pivot, we just kept saying, no, we're not going to quit. We're not going to give up, right? And so I think it's, finding that balance of where you need to persevere and where you need to make some changes. And I think that's a really difficult uh, 
thing to figure out, right? Especially if you're on your own. So when it comes to those times, those moments where you think you might be at a fork in the road, it's it really makes sense to, to surround yourself with people with wisdom and experience, right? Whether it's EO, my entrepreneurs organization group, or whether it's a business coach, or whether, it, you know, having people in your life that have been around the block that can help you talk about this issue, think about it, pray it through, and so you can make the 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 right decision, right? If you're all on your own, you're going to feel lost. And so I, I think that's that's the big thing is, is surrounding yourself with the, the, the right group. Fantastic. Uh, next one, brand. Um, brand reputation, image impact, what people say about Darren Janelle when you're not in the room. What have you done by way of 360 feedback with your coaches in the past? Yeah, so we, we're all about training transparency here right uh, we come from that sports background if i'm doing something wrong i want to hear about it and and so i think we have a pretty open dialogue here we do a ton of anonymous surveys with our people too so ask anything critique anything like it's anonymous it truly is anonymous and and we've you know i've heard some tough things over the years right um i i, I think constantly seeking that out um is something that every leader should do. If you're not doing that, I guarantee you've got flaws that you can't see. Yeah, and it always worries me when people go, I don't want to do a 360 feedback with you, Jonathan. I'm not interested in what others think. You go, that's a problem. That's a problem. Yeah. Legacy. Um, what would you like your legacy to be, uh, both in your personal life and in your work when you die? Uh, I, I, I think they'd be the same, right? I, I, I want, when I'm done, if I die today, first of all, I'd be a happy man. I, I lived an amazing life. Um, I want people to say, oh, man, I'm glad I knew that guy. He was fun. He helped me. He added value. He was a great person to know. He's someone who came down and got after it and tried to add value, right? And, and I, I measure my life, my success as the number of people and the extent to which I impact them. So I do keep a scorecard. I would want a hundred, a thousand, ten thousand, a hundred thousand people to be at my grave saying, you know what? This guy did all right by me. And and uh, I, I think that's how I want to be remembered. Lovely. Um, executive teams, uh, even teams of any sort, you know, sports teams, you've been into this, you've studied this, you've read about this. What would be your top tip of turning a toxic team around into a high performing team? Well, it starts with the right people, right? If you don't have the right people on the bus, I don't care. You could bring the greatest leader in ever. And if he comes into a, you know, a 30 person company where you got 20 a-holes, I mean, it's not going to work until he gets them out of there, right? So you've got to have the right people. And that goes double, triple, quadruple when it comes to your leadership team. So don't ever compromise. Keep looking, searching, look through as many people as you can until you find the best people that you can surround yourself with. Our top, top leadership team here is world-class. I'll put them up against anyone because we looked at a million people before we picked them. Great. Love it. And we're going to touch on that with the top tip. And I don't mind if you repeat it. Um, favorite book on leadership? Um, which one would you choose? You know, I, I, I'm going to go with uh, Traction. That's uh, we are an EOS shop, entrepreneurial operating system. Um, that that book has transformed our business and and really taken us to another level. Are you familiar with EOS, Jonathan? I've heard of it, but but tell for those who who are not familiar, just to explain what EOS is. So EOS is a system that you can run your business on, right? Like so many great leadership books, you read it, you go, that was great. Maybe I pull a nugget or two out of it, but it's like, all right, six months later, you might like forget about it or not really implement it. The reason traction is so, and EOS is so powerful is it's a system that you run your business on day by day by day. It's very popular here in America. I know probably 10 other uh, uh, business owners that are running EOS in their companies as well. Um, and so so traction is the book by Gino Wickman, absolutely transformed our, our business and our ability to scale. Fantastic. And then um, finally, what I'd love you to do is... Um, Introduce yourself again and explain what your business is, uh, Darren, and then give us your top two-minute leadership tip, and that would stand in its own right. So over to you. Awesome. My name is Darren Janelle, and I'm the CEO and founder of Janelle Group. We're a custom software development shop here in New York in the United States of America. My top two-minute tip, this is easy. It all boils down to the talent on your team. When it comes to recruiting, we are obsessed. We are maniacally focused 
on finding the best people in the world that we can find. So when it comes to building your team, think about how much time and energy you're putting into this. Are you investing enough? Because in my opinion, there is nothing more important. You could work your tail off for six months and do all of this amazing stuff, 90 hours a week. When really, if you just hired two more star players, they can do that times 10, right? When we talk about we talk about compounded interest, when we talk about money, well, what if I got 8% and I put it in an account over 30 years and think about how high that grows? But we don't think about compounded interest in terms of people. What if I got a person who was 40% better than someone? What if I get someone that's 100% better? They're, they're actually, they double the output of another person. Now I put 10 of those people in a room and we go forward five years. Our organization, our company will be on a completely different level. And, and you can't even understate that. So when it comes to recruiting, be obsessed, speak to more people, vet more people, talk to more folks until you find the superstar that you need to add and don't give up. Darren Janelle, brilliant advice as always. It's been a pleasure having you on the Inspiring Leadership Podcast. And I know you go from strength to strength. Thank you very much, my friend. Thank you, Jonathan. So now you've heard from one of the inspiring leaders that I've interviewed, what are you going to do next? If you want to get some more free material, go to my website, jonathanperks.com or follow me on LinkedIn, Jonathan Bowman Perks. And there you can get access to my books, uh, Inspiring Leadership and Top Tips for Inspiring Leaders. But if you want to actually do something about being a leader and constantly improving your game, raising your performance, get in touch with me about coaching you or one of your team that you want to raise the game for them. It's got to be people who want to be good to great, not people who you're trying to fire. And if you're looking for a motivational speaker, get in touch. Or if you want me to work with your team coach, I would be delighted to help you.